The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business Today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to the show today. Communication. You all know that it's one of the most important skills for leaders and for life in general. In fact, I find it rather amusing these days when I ask a group of people what makes for a leader that they admire. The number one answer is always communication, as if that is immediately obvious what it means we do so well with communication. But that's what we're going to focus on today, because regardless how good you are in communicating, you will find occasions where a bit more improvement will make an enormously big difference. It's a big topic. But today I want to focus on two very specific skills that we don't talk about very often. One of those is handling questions, whether they come from friendly stakeholders or hostile sources, and how do you interrupt a meeting to make sure you make your point or even more importantly to bring it back on track. Along the way, we're going to have to talk a little bit about how do you refine your message in a way that lets you be on point and concise. So with me today is Jana Sanchez. Jana has trained thousands of executives to handle media interviews, but more importantly, she's focused on helping people tell their story in a compelling way. Um, She helped found a PR firm that focuses on finance and corporations called City Savvy with offices in London, Amsterdam, and New York. And as of the start of the new year, she's going to be focused exclusively on helping leaders and their communication skills. Everything from executive presence to communications in general to media training. Jana's previous life was as a journalist and before that as a political fundraiser. So it makes her particularly focused on a different side of what it takes to communicate effectively. And if that's not enough, for fun, Jana writes songs and performs, and she has her own country band in Texas called Possum and a Six Pack, in case you want to look them up. So, Jana, welcome to the show. (laughs) Good morning, Wanda. Thank you. All right. Happy to have you with us. I am looking forward to this one. So I want to start a bit at the beginning, because I know if I don't, you will yell at me. Mm -hmm. So before we launch into handling questions or how do you interrupt, I know that you and every other communication specialist I have ever spoken to say that if they ever get the message right, the rest will follow. So they'll spend 70% of their time making sure the message is clear. Now, am I quoting you correctly? And if so, why does that matter so much? Um. It's absolutely essential that you know what you need to say and how you need to say it. And it's surprising how few of us spend enough time on that aspect of it. Um, You have to prepare your message because otherwise you say the wrong things. 
Um, you don't say what you need to say, and you don't come across as authentic. Okay. All right. Now, how much is enough time? And granted, some people do this more instinctively than others, so I'm presuming some people have to spend more time on it than others. So how do you estimate how much time? I'm sorry, it's hard for everyone. It's a very difficult task, which we rarely spend enough time on. But if you sit down and you work out your messages, thinking about your audience and thinking about what you need to accomplish, I can go through some of the points, some of the questions you need to ask yourself. Um, But then you need to refine them. And you need to say, what is your proof for them? And then I would also test them with someone else. So it does take a lot of time. And That's true for everyone, for every product, for every company, that it's a big process. It's a process that a lot of people skip over. Yeah. I know um, I do a lot of panel discussions in the sessions and classes that I run. And for those panel discussions, senior executives will show up and they'll sit Mm -hmm. in the panel and they'll talk quite openly and quite freely. And from the audience point of view, it looks like they just turned up and started talking. What no one ever recognizes is that most of these senior executives have their notes that will be in the coat pocket or in their briefcase, and they'll do a quick reference. And you you would be surprised sometimes for what is going to be a 15-minute presentation, how much effort had gone into thinking about the key things that you want to say, and then they tuck it away so you have no clue how much effort's been put on it. That's right, because it takes a long time to develop the messages. It's the biggest part of the job before you present something. But also, you have to rehearse and practice a lot. I've had a lot of trainees say to me, I don't want to sound rehearsed. I like to just go off the top of my head. But the reality is, you just sound bad if you don't rehearse. Um, You have to really know your messages. You have to learn them, and you have to learn different ways of saying the same thing again and again and again, so you stay on point. So there is a lot of work involved in developing the message and a lot of work involved in knowing the message, even though you wrote it. You have to know it as well. Okay. And I like that, that you have to say it in multiple different ways so it doesn't sound um, uh, repetitive. Okay, so you have a methodology for helping people prepare the message. How does that work? Yes, well, it depends. So if it's just one meeting and you've got a very simple message about a specific project or product, um, then you need to sit down and ask yourself some, you know, quite a few questions until you can crystallize the main points in three to five short sentences. So questions such as, what need does this fill? What makes it special? What's its biggest benefit? Who supports this and why? Um, and you have to ask yourself tough questions like, what's wrong with this? Like, what could go wrong? And then when you think about all of those questions and you start writing out messages and you work through them, preferably with someone else, a disinterested party is even better, um, then you will come up, you will probably get it down to six or seven or eight messages. And then what you'll find if you go back and forth with it is that two of those messages can be combined into one. One of them is not really convincing or relevant. It's, it's obvious or, or isn't true sometimes. Um, so it's just a process of really a lot of questioning. Um, and in a way, it's sort of your messages should sort of anticipate the questions you're going to get from other people. Okay. All right, now, you are talking about this, I can imagine, in terms of making a big presentation, like a big town hall or a presentation in front of key stakeholders or a public Mm -hmm. presentation or media presentation. Do you have the same 
think the same holds true when we're trying to present, raise our profile and present our own brand. Absolutely. Um, you should have your own message matrix about yourself. So you're just like you, um, Wanda, I know you're a big fan of having your own marketing plan for yourself. Well, part of your marketing plan should be, these are my core core values, my core skills, the things that really separate me and make me good. And you should know those messages and you should know all your proof points. What's the evidence of that? And the more you use it and the more you know it, the easier it will become to use that. But you, but everything needs a message matrix. When I say matrix, I mean a message in one column, proof points in the next column. What are the facts, observations, and anecdotes that work to demonstrate those messages. And then in the in the third column, if you're really good, you should have sound bites that make those messages come alive. Okay, I like that. So for every message, I have proof points. So I've got a column that says the message. I have the proof mm-hmm. points, which are the facts, the data, the evidence, the concrete mm-hmm. bit. And then mm-hmm. like a sound bite, like a phrase I would use yes. to express that. Okay, can you give yes, an example? Well, it's really, really hard to come up with a soundbite at the, you know, you can't do it off the cuff. You basically need to take your message and distill it down to a few points that really, um, that really answer the question of the message. And you have to rehearse it and practice it. So it is very difficult to come up with a soundbite off the cuff. That's why people who have great soundbites have spent a lot of time working on them. They weren't they weren't off the cuff comments. Okay, I love that because you do tend to believe that people mm-hmm. just instantaneously came up with mm-hmm. it, and in my experience, it's been well thought through. And someone else often is uh-huh. the better soundbite maker yes. than you are. Yes. Sometimes okay. it comes up by accident, and then you remember it, you write it down, and then you try then you try it out. Okay. You test okay. it. All right, so give me an example of a message, a proof point, and a soundbite. How does that all go together? Okay, so for instance, a message might be, um, this project will cut delivery time, reduce production costs, and give, us the, give our sales staff the tools they need to meet customer demand. The, that would be the message. The proof might be, a proof point might be, delivery time will be cut from six months to four months. Production costs will decrease from, you know, 6.3 million to 6.1 million. Um, and, um, a soundbite might be, I'm having to come up with this to the top of my head, but, you know, this project, this, this project works for us, for instance. I just made that up, but, you know, you would okay. boil it down to, to its core essential. And usually there should be an emotional appeal. So, an, you know, an us or a, or something that helps people get on board with it. Okay. All right. For us, a game changer, take us mm-hmm. into the next century are the kind of things yes. that I've heard from so many yes. people. Yes. It's Although in, be careful it, that it's not a cliche. If you've heard it before, it's a cliche. Okay. Great. All right. So just today I was working with someone about their message for themselves. And this is an individual who's looking to raise their profile, mm-hmm. hopefully so that they get the right recognition and ultimately the kind of opportunity they were looking for next bigger assignment that they were looking for. And one of the advice from a stakeholder was step out of the details, step Mm -hmm. up two to three levels, and look across Mm 
not just your product area, but several product areas and help mm-hmm. us understand why what you do is relevant to the broader story. So things like X percentage of our revenue stream is affected by what you do. Mm-hmm. Or X percent so of our that's clients. an excellent um, so what I would say is if somebody is telling this person that, then what's happening is they're speaking with proof points, not with messages. So they're they're making their case really well um, on specific facts, but they're not pulling it together for other people at the higher level, which is why having a message matrix helps you because you can distinguish between what's a proof point and what's a message. And that person might, I mean, that, you know, they could, there could be many things causing this this perception, but it might be something as simple as making sure after you give a proof point that you go back and repeat the overarching message, which is that this project is great for us. You know, so it's simply a matter sometimes of making sure that you are speaking in messages, i.e. telling people why this matters. Okay. All right. I think that's actually excellent. Because I think a lot of people do just give the facts and then wonder why mm-hmm. it doesn't have any impact. It's because you yes. didn't tie it together and in yes. a way that's memorable, which is your soundbite. Okay, now, Jenna, I get why you do this for a media interview. I get why you do this for a big presentation to the analyst community. But that sounds like a lot of effort for an average meeting. So when does this really become worth the time? So in my experience, people who do go through this process of sorting out messages for the big things realize pretty quickly that they can do it for all the small things as well. And that's also true with bridging, which I know we're going to get to next, that it becomes a habit. It becomes a way of thinking. So people who sound smart in meetings, even when they're called off the cuff to speak, often it's because they've organized their thoughts in this way. So I would say do it a lot, get really comfortable with it, and the time that it takes you for those small meetings will get less and less and less because it will become second nature. You will think about what's my message, what's my proof, how do I synthesize this into something easy for people to understand in a, in a soundbite. Right. Um, and presumably you've got the same message that you keep repeating over and over and over again because otherwise people don't get that that's what you really, really mean. I remember um, Lou Gerstner in taking over at IBM would say that he had the same message for a two-year period and he was just going to focus on saying it and saying it and saying it and saying it so everybody in the organization and in the wider community got it and after two years, then he'd move to a new message. Absolutely. I mean, For a company and for a CEO, there's usually a big process, which is you work through this message matrix, which a lot of people are involved in, and there's a lot of thought that goes into it. And um, But it does change over time, but it doesn't change from one day to the next without a lot of effort and a lot of thought. Well, the same is true for you. Your messages, if they change every day, you might look scattered. You might not look like you know what you're talking about. So you need to have consistency in your messages, but sometimes messages do change. Messages change because the situation changes. So you have to be on top of um, testing your messages all the time to make sure they're still accurate and they still are fully reflective of what you need to be saying because they can be technically accurate but not but not moving with the time. So you do they do change. They stay consistent for a long period of time, and they should move purposefully. It shouldn't be just suddenly you realize that your message you said something different than you said before. It should there you should put a lot of thought into before you okay. change a message. Okay. 
All right. So just to come back to the beginning of this, we spent a lot of time talking about getting your message clear, being absolutely certain what your core message is. I often say to people, what you want the audience to remember out of what you said. Yeah. And then having your, your proof points that go with it and your sound bites, because the sound bites will make it memorable. Now, we want to talk about how do you handle questions and how do you deal with interruptions. So just for the mm-hmm. record, why is this message matrix so important to be able to handle questions? Because if you – so when we're going to talk about bridging, what you're going to see is that you're always going back to a key message no matter what. But if you don't know really, really well what your key messages are, you have nowhere to go. And then what you do is you're not communicating effectively. So you not only have to spend a lot of time developing, you have to spend a lot of time knowing them so that it's second nature that whenever there's a question or an issue or a discussion that you're always coming back to your key message. So you really have to know those. Um, and just because you wrote them doesn't mean you know them. You really have to get your head around all of the interconnections between the messages and what proof points are relevant and what sound bites are relevant. It's, you know, I, um, as a singer, I notice that it's easier for me to learn a, a cover song because I've heard it a thousand times than it is to learn my own songs, which I wrote. So the fact that you wrote them doesn't make it easier to learn. You still have to put in all the same effort and you still have to sing it a thousand times if you're going to really know those words. Okay. Boy, do I know that that's true from my own experience here. Okay, so we're going to take a break. But before we take a break, let me just sort of summarize what I think is the highlight out of this. And the core theme is that while we think we know what we're talking about, we don't have nearly sufficiently coherent and simplified Mm -hmm. messages. So we want to get this down to three, maximum five key points that you want people to remember. And I say three because I think there's magic in the number three. I have my overall message and I have it succinct and I have it crisp and I have it clear. With that message, I want proof points, meaning I want to know what evidence, what data, what um, anecdotes, what examples I will use to demonstrate that message. And then ideally, I'd like to have a soundbite or two that I would use to encapsulate that message. And I do that for each message. And then I'm going to rehearse it and practice it and refine Mm -hmm. it and get feedback from people and make sure I'm on track so that I can easily go back to my message at any given point and feel off the cuff, even though genuinely it's not off the cuff. Okay? That's very correct, all of that. (laughs) All right. So that is the foundation then for what's going to allow you to be succinct, to clear, to have executive presence, and as you're going to see when we come back from a break, to handle questions and deal with interruptions. So with me today is Jana Sanchez. Jana focuses on helping people tell their story in a compelling way, and from now on, focused exclusively on helping leaders improve their communication skills, from executive presence to general communication, all the way up to media training. We'll be right back.
Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. We're glad you're with us. With me today is Jana Sanchez. Jana helps leaders develop, tell their story in a compelling way. Communication skills for leaders in general, from executive presence to speeches to general communications to media training. We have just been talking about the importance of being really crisp and clear in what your message is. Three to five messages, refined, tested, verified, and for each message you want a message matrix that includes the key point, What is it? What are the proof elements for that? So the data, the anecdotes, the stories, the evidence, and then what's the soundbite that you would like to use for each message to know that, to rehearse it, to be really, really clear with it. So now with that background, with that preparation, I want to turn to this whole notion of how do you handle questions? And Janet, I want to start at this from a media interview, because I know when you're training people to be interviewed by the media, you have to train them to be prepared to deal with really tough questions, because that's the purpose of media, to ask the odd thing. So how do you explain to people how to do questions? Okay, so the First and foremost, the most important point is we are brought up to believe that if somebody asks a question, we should answer it. So it's considered rude not to just answer it directly. So the first thing is to get people past that idea and so they can start viewing every question, no matter how hostile, loaded, leading it might be, is only an opportunity. You should view it as a springboard to go on to tell your story. And, of course, you have to learn how to do that gracefully, which I'll talk about in a little while because there's a very straightforward way to do that. But you, you must think about that you don't have to answer the question. What you have to do is tell your story in a way that satisfies the questioner and in which the audience learns something and understands your message. 
Okay. So I get this question from people all the time that they've done all the preparation, they have the message, they know what to do, and then there's this unexpected question from the audience, Mm -hmm. and they don't feel smart in answering it. Now, Mm -hmm. we can say they should have been prepared, but sometimes you can't do that. So what's the secret? So I get this thing in my head. I have to understand that I don't have to literally answer every question, but I do have to satisfy people. So how do I do that? Okay, so it's it's going. I'm going to simplify it. It's going to sound like I'm saying it's really easy. It's not easy. It's hard, but it's this simple. You get the question. You process the question for a second. You acknowledge the question or answer the question, and then you bridge, and then you give your answer, which your answer needs to contain your message and hopefully a proof point or two. And hopefully a soundbite as well if you, if you have that prepared. So in other words, you get the question, you take a second, you think, how do I get from this question back to my message? And you, so you have to know how to acknowledge it gracefully. You have, so that they know that they're being heard. If you ignore the question, you look horrible. Um, and then you, they're bridging statements that you have to just learn. There are lots and lots of bridging statements that you can know, and we'll come to that in a little while, but it's basically a format. We call it in media training, A, B, C, acknowledge or answer, bridge, and then communicate your message. Um, so that's, there's a very specific format. It takes a lot of practice to be good at that. That's what you do in, in a media training or in a communications training. You usually spend at least a few hours practicing bridging, and it becomes more natural. Um, often I've trained people who say, I could never do this. I feel um, in, I feel inauthentic. And then I see them a few weeks later in the hall of the, of the company where they work, and they say, oh, I'm bridging all the time. I'm doing this with everybody. It's really working. I'm getting my way more often now because people discover that you, you do have to practice it, and when you practice it and you get graceful at it, it really works. Okay. All right, so we need to give an example for this one. And you're talking about this in media, but presumably it works mm-hmm. for any question that you get at any time. Any so give question. me an example of what the stream looks like from acknowledge to bridge to communicate. Okay, so um, the important point is whether you answer it, if it's a question that can be answered, then you bridge, then you communicate, and you should be able to hear all three pieces of that answer. So, for instance, question, when will the project be completed? You know the answer to that, roughly, but you don't want to miss an opportunity to sell your project. So you say, our projections at this moment show us completing the project in March. That's the A. The B is, but please keep in mind, so that's your bridge, that's taking you to your message, the true benefits of lower overheads and less customer churn will only begin to be evident by then. We expect the full impact of these changes to be be apparent later in the year. So you didn't just answer the question. You could have just said, we're done in March. Um, but you used the B, the plea, but please keep in mind, um, that to get to the C, which is there are a lot of benefits to this project, and you said that again. So you answered the question and you gave additional information. Okay. So I get how that works. 
that you take a part of the question that was asked, either all of it or part of it, and address mm-hmm. that quest part of the question. So that's mm-hmm. the A. And then mm-hmm. I use a phrase that lets me get back to what I really mm-hmm. wanted to say. So like, mm-hmm. but please keep in mind. Okay, let's take each one of those. So we've done the C part, because now you see why the communication, your message has to be so crystal clear. Yes. Let's go to the acknowledge or address. What are the ways in which you can acknowledge a part of somebody's question without addressing the whole thing? Okay, so there are a lot of times when you simply cannot answer a question. And I don't mean saying, I don't know, because that is also an answer, I don't know. I mean when you really can't answer the question, either because the answer is information that you can't give, or it's because something you can't predict, it's a hypothetical question, or it's a hostile question and you want to address the emotional intent behind um, the, the questioner. So another example of a question where you would acknowledge rather than answer would be, um, I'm finding it hard to believe you can finish this project in the timeline you've proposed. Can you guarantee me it will be ready in time? Well, you probably don't want to go on record saying you can guarantee, but you also don't want to say no. So you say, acknowledge. Our projections show us we, we should complete by March. Um, you know, of course, projects of this nature have been known to, to slip, but then the B is, but what I can assure you, so you've taken it away from that issue of the specific time and gone back to one of your key messages, which is we are working day and night to ensure the success of this project. The entire team is focused on delivering the cost savings and competitive advantage. So you couldn't answer that question, you can't guarantee that the, that the project will be done in March. And you don't want to say you can't. So you use it as an opportunity to talk about how hard your team is working and how valuable the project is. Okay, which is back to your core message again. So, yes. and even at times to say things like, I can appreciate everybody's anxiety about completing on time. Yeah. Could be another way of acknowledging the emotion that's present in that one. Yes, if you don't acknowledge the emotion, you look shallow, like you're not addressing an issue head on. And, you know, a lot of people say to me, oh, what you're talking about is what politicians often do. But that's not true. The reason politicians seem um, untrustworthy in many cases when they're asked a question is because they don't acknowledge. And they don't acknowledge the anxiety or the fear or the or the lack of understanding that the question shows. So it's really important when you acknowledge to not be afraid of that emotion that's in a hostile or leading question. Embrace it and and don't repeat a negative. You know, don't don't say you know don't use a negative word in repeating, but address it. Okay, so I'm not going to say I too am anxious, but you can say I can appreciate <laughs> your anxiety. Yes. Okay. Yes. Exactly. Okay. All right. So that's the acknowledge part. Now, what are the phrases besides, but please keep in mind, that let us mm-hmm. do bridging? Um, the tons. And the one that I think works many, many, many times is what I can tell you. So, for instance, I can't tell you that, but what I can tell you. I don't know that, but what I do know. These are really, you can use those in so many instances because Often, you can't answer the question, so you're going to say, I don't know, but what I do know, or I can't say, but what I can say. So that bridge is just a reflection of the acknowledgement in a way. Um, Other bridging terms are, you know, 
perhaps a more accurate way to view this is. So you're taking it, you're bridging it away from the question um, and back to your answer or um, an acknowledgement. You know, I can understand why you look at it like that, but perhaps a more accurate way to view it than that your B. So the acknowledgement is I can understand why you're looking at it like that and the B is, but perhaps a more accurate way to view it is. And then simple terms like however, you know, I know there are concerns about this, however, and then you go into your message, or but, and furthermore, moreover, all of those words allow you to bridge from an acknowledgement into a message. And there also are big phrases that you can take that just allow you to acknowledge the question, usually by nodding and, you know, physically showing that you you understand the question, and then say something like, let's take a step back, or let's look at the bigger picture. Let me give you the background. Let me put it in my own words. All of these phrases have the benefit of bringing you back in control, so you're not simply answering a question. You're then in control. Okay. All right, so I see why this would work so well because, one, I'm very clear about the message I want you to take away from whatever communication I'm doing because I've done my homework. And two, I know that people feel heard when you synthesize, repeat, play back Mm -hmm. a part of what they've said. So in your acknowledging phrases, what you're doing is picking up some of either the emotion, the intent, or the actual question Mm -hmm. itself and addressing that, noting it, replaying it. And then link bridging is then just linking, finding a connection between that, I see what you're saying, now let me turn to this, in a way that makes it sound like a coherent story. Correct. The one thing I would like to add to that is sometimes with a hostile question, I, I talked about this briefly, but I want to explain it a bit more. The person might say something like, I think that you're lying about mm-hmm. this, um, then you don't want to say, I'm, li-, you know, I'm not lying, because when you say, I'm, I'm not lying, everybody hears lying. And yeah. so you, that, that's the pink elephant in the room then. So what you want to say is, I understand your concerns about the timeline, but what I can assure you, so what you've done is you've addressed the concern, but you haven't repeated the very negative word. So just it's about those specific negative words to be careful not to repeat those negative words because they they reframe the question in a in a negative way, and then you've continued the negative framing. Yeah, and then if if the audience is cynical or skeptical, they just hear mm-hmm. you say "not lying," and they go, "Yeah, I doubt yes. it." And just asking exactly. people to question. Okay, makes a ton of sense. All right, so acknowledge in whole or in part, emotion or content, either of those, but don't mm-hmm. acknowledge using it by repeating any negative words. Get the underlying theme. I hear your concerns. Yes. I understand the emotions mm-hmm. that are at play. I know we all mm-hmm. have a lot at stake in this one. Mm-hmm. Bridge, find a phrase, a connection that lets you get back to what your core message is. Let's look at the learn picture those. here. Yeah. And then deliver your message. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there, you know, what if the question is really detail-oriented? Like they're asking for lots and lots and lots of detail-oriented. What's your advice on that case? Um, well, I typically, depending on the scenario, 
you don't want to start going into lots of detail. I mean, if you were there to answer detailed questions, then probably you just have to answer it. But generally speaking, people are asking for detail that will take you off of your message and off of your presentation. So again, you simply bridge. Um, you take their detailed question, and especially often detailed questions have a number of questions in them. You pick the the part of the question you want to answer and you want to focus on, and you use your ABC. Now, when you get to the C, don't forget to give detail, because if you don't give some detail, you look inauthentic, and nobody's listening to you at that point if you're just repeating messages. So know your detail. Know the proof column in your, in your message matrix. Um, so I think that you have to give some detail, but you certainly don't want to be letting that person take over your delivery of your story by demanding details that you are not there to present. Okay. I like that. So I'm going to give you details, but I'm going to give you the details I wanted to give you, not Mm -hmm. necessarily the ones you asked me for. Mm -hmm. And you're right, unless it is a meeting where we're reviewing your budget plan. Yeah, then you have to know. Are just testing, do you really know what you're talking about? They don't actually want to know all that technical detail. So pick a piece of it, answer a piece of it, but not necessarily all of it. And then let them ask again, I suppose, if it's abs- in an internal meeting, it's absolutely essential. Now, any other advice, Jana, to not look like you're rude and obnoxious? I think that it's about the gracefulness of which you acknowledge and bridge. So the fact that you listen to someone and you acknowledge their question and you bridge quickly and then get to your message, you don't look rude. If you do that well, you do not look rude. You look well-prepared. You look persuasive. You are persuasive. Okay. So it's that, so presumably some pace here, not too fast, not too rushed, and the acknowledging the underlying emotion or the Mm -hmm. underlying intent or some synthesis component, and then a very graceful bridge. Showing that you're listening and not spending too much time on acknowledging. The acknowledgement should be pretty short. The bridge is short, and then you're back onto your message. And also, don't forget, you have to give people information. You can't just give them a message. You've got to back it up. Okay. So the message and then with information. All right. Fabulous. And you now see why I think that it's so important to have spent all that time on your message because otherwise you can't do any of this. So just to repeat where we've been here, there's a lot of preparation that goes into being able to answer good questions. So one is being very, very clear about what my messages are, and we've called that a message matrix. So three, maximum five points that are part of your message concisely down to the core essence of them. So not a rambling thing, but down to what do I really mean about that? Tested, talked to people, tried out, rewritten, clear. For each of those three to five messages, I want proof points, meaning facts, detailed anecdotes, stories, evidence that illustrate that particular proof. And then I'd like to have sound bites to the extent that I can. When we come then to answering questions, the technique is to acknowledge a part or a whole of the question, answer it if you can, and then bridge with a phrase like, let me put this in my own words, or what I can tell you is, and go right back to one of your core messages and with your proof points. So you've gotten back on track. And with that, you look graceful, poised, executive presence, and on top of your game. 
So yeah. with me is Jana Sanchez. Jana, as you can tell, is a specialist in helping people tell their story in a compelling way, whether that's from executive presence to the general communication of the message to media training. And when we come back, I want to talk about the lovely topic of how do you interrupt and not come across as rude. We'll be right back. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Jana Sanchez, and Jana is a specialist in helping people tell their story in a compelling way, regardless of the cause of the communication or the, per- the location of communication. So we have been talking about the need to prepare your message, to be clear about what the core message is, what the proof points are, and what any sound bites are that you would use. And then we've been talking about how do you deal with questions, especially when they're hostile or questions you can't really address. The technique is ABC, acknowledge or address in whole or in part, bridge, connect gracefully, and then to see, deliver your message. Go back to one of your core points. And then at that point, make sure you're giving proof points so it doesn't sound like you're avoiding giving detail. Okay, so now let's talk about how do you interrupt. Boy, do I get this question a lot. And I know it sounds rude, but honestly, sometimes if you don't break in, you just never get to say what you need to say. And let me give you a very specific example. Very recently, I was watching a team meeting. A senior executive comes in to join that team meeting as designated and as agreed to. And there was a topic for the team meeting that the senior executive was joining. But that executive absolutely hijacked the meeting. 
was very vocal, very enthusiastic, and I think had really, really good intent. And he sat there controlling the content of that meeting for one hour, and no one had a way to interrupt him and drag the conversation back on track for what they had agreed to talk about. And they were being polite, just flat out. No one was going to stop him. And I'm sure for him, he felt, well, somebody's got to fill the air. I'll fill it. So, Jana, how can you interrupt and still be polite? This this is so hard because just like we're raised to answer questions when we're asked, we're also raised not to interrupt people, particularly people of higher status. It's really difficult. Um, and it happens all the time. I work with a lot of fund managers who have very highly trained CEOs and CFOs who they need to interview to make a decision about whether to invest or not. And they said to me, we can't interrupt them, and then they go on for the whole per, the whole rest of the hour, telling us a beautiful story that we could read in their annual report. And what I showed them is actually you can interrupt, and the way that you can interrupt politely is first of all by listening for the verbal cues. As we talked about with ABC, which all of these executives are trained multiple times on how to answer questions using the ABC format, you hear it. You hear the acknowledgement, you hear the bridge, and then you hear when they're on to a message. So the easiest way to interrupt is to interrupt between the A and the B. So if when they start acknowledging your question, for instance, and they're about to bridge and go into their answer, you stop them right there. And you can smile. You can say, I'm sorry for interrupting. And then usually most people will stop talking when you say that. You can also use nonverbal cues such as leaning in, opening your mouth. People stop talking because you're going to talk. But you have to be listening to at least the beginning of the answer and jump in before they've gone on too long. But that's if it's that's in the case of the fund manager asking the CEO. So they're speaking, they're addressing a question you've asked, you hear the format of the answer. Okay. So if we go back to one of the examples that we did before where mm-hmm. someone is saying, so I think, you know, one of the questions is when will the project be completed? And the answer mm-hmm. was our projections at the moment show us completing the project sometime in March or at the end of March. And then we say, but please keep in mind, it's right at that moment mm-hmm. yes, where you would jump in and say something else or ask another question. Is that yes, correct? particularly if you've already heard this, if that happened, let's say that was the second time you've asked and they didn't give you the answer. They didn't say, we, we expect March, but they said, it's hard to say right now. It's a little too early to say right now. Then you know that's an acknowledgement. But what I can tell you, okay. or, you know, that's one way to look at it, but, but another way to look at it, you hear that, you know that that's the B. And so you jump in between the A and the B. So it's especially true that it's easy to interrupt an answer in which you know you're not getting an answer. You hear it if you're listening. You hear it because you know that that's just an acknowledgement as opposed to an answer. Okay. So if I take this back to the meeting that I observed, and, you know, someone started this meeting by asking Mm -hmm. a question. Mm-hmm. And the individual speaking, the senior executive, actually is acknowledging a part of that question mm-hmm. and then talking mm-hmm. on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. 
And if they would just recognize the bridging that the executive is doing to keep going Mm -hmm. and going and going and break in at that bridge moment, that's the the place to direct. Yeah. I mean, you have to strike a balance because if you interrupt someone the first question that they're answering and you don't let them answer, then you're in a tough situation because you're not listening because you have to listen. The key skill that you need to interrupt is to listen, and those two things sound like they're the opposite of each other. But you have to be able to listen so you can hear whether you're getting an answer, whether he's going down a path that you don't want to go down. But then once he's down that path, let's say he didn't use that format for whatever he's talking about, you're just going to have to use those nonverbal cues, smile, and say, but sir, can I... Can I, often is a good way to say this, may I, may I interrupt, you know, could I direct you a different direction, that sort of thing. There are ways that you can verbally and physically demonstrate that you want to move the conversation on. And you have to not be afraid to do it. Right. Okay, and you can do an apology without apologizing. As in, I want to ask this a different way. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just another way of saying, I want to try it. I want to hear a different example. Can you give me another example as an example without actually apologizing for interrupting? But in a way, it sort of implies it. Okay, so Jenna, let's talk about the these nonverbal cues. Because I find that if you can make eye contact with someone in the room, particularly in a meeting setting, that you have a better shot at getting them to stop than if no one's looking at you. So how do you get people to look at you and realize that you're about to, you want to now interrupt? Well, it depends on the setting, of course. I mean, it might be overly dramatic to stand up. (laughs) It depends on how big the room is and what's going on. Um, But you definitely, you can lean in over the table. You can um, raise your hand. So not like, not like raising your hand to a teacher, but, you know, like as in a hand gesture gesticulation. You can just show that you're about to speak by being very open with your with your arms. Um, you know, I think people, if they're if they are listening to you, then they are looking at you and paying attention. So you have to get the attention. Okay, great. I had a senior executive said to me once, as I was about to go to a major presentation, you know how to take over the meeting if you need to. And my answer was no. And his reply was, well, figure it out. (laughs) So (laughs) what I figured out um, more after the fact than before the fact, I succeeded at the meeting, I have to say. What I figured out is that often just noise. And, you know, as a woman, you, you can easily like tap your pen or, you know, your fingernails can often be an advantage if you're not too obnoxious with that. Just a small noise draws attention to you. And it's at that moment you got to jump in. What yeah. do you think of that strategy? I think that's an excellent strategy. You you just need to get the attention on you because people, just like you want to listen to other people and you're raised to be polite, they are also raised to be polite. So generally speaking, unless you're dealing with somebody very boorish, then they when they know that you want to speak, they will let you speak. All right. So now there must be cultural differences on this um, because I and I say to people, if you don't interrupt in New York, you're never going to say a word. And equally, if you start interrupting in Germany or in Japan too often, you're going to be seen as obnoxious. So how much cultural difference is there? There's huge cultural differences. Um, 
And, you know, like you said, in America, we definitely expect to be interrupted. We do not think we're going to get away with controlling the agenda. Um, I've spent a lot of time working in Holland, um, and the Dutch are the same way. You know, it's not considered rude to interrupt. And um, and I would say the British as well. In some cultures, it is it is more rude to interrupt, you know, so I think it just depends on the culture. Sometimes the fact that you're from a different culture, you do get a little more leeway, I've, I've found. So people forgive Americans for interrupting more than they might their own countrymen, for instance, because they know we interrupt. Okay. I find there's also a frequency. I can get away with it once, maybe twice mm-hmm. in a meeting, but the time I start to do it four and five times, then it becomes a problem. Well, you're probably being rude if you're interrupting a lot. Not you, of course, but if somebody's interrupting a lot, they're, they are potentially being rude. I mean, have you listened? Have you given the person a chance to speak? Um, you know, sometimes it, it is just your turn to listen. And if you're being fair, you know the difference. Um, and the other person knows it, too. Okay. It's sometimes you just so have does- to remind them by interrupting. <laughs> Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, any last piece of advice on dealing with interruptions and in particular dealing with the media? Yeah, it kind of goes back to what we talked about in the beginning about, um, you know, it's not a question and answer session. Um, A media interview, what I always tell people is it's not a question and answer session. Every question is an opportunity for you to tell your story. So the, the reason that, reporters are so good at interrupting and don't really look rude generally when they do it is because they know it's theater. They know that interrupting, asking rude questions, um, all of these things are techniques to to get what they want, which is a great story. So they don't mind if they unnerve you. They don't mind if they look controlling. So I think you have to appreciate that there is a certain amount of theater in a lot of this that's happening. And um, now keep in mind that if you're working with the same people every day, you want to be you want to be portraying a good guy, not a bad guy. <laughs> but okay. you know, but it is theater. And at the end of the day, if you don't make your point and you don't stand up in the meeting and say what you need to say and make sure people understand it, then you failed, even if you've answered questions and, you know, even if you sat quietly listening, you haven't succeeded. So you have to view it as your end goal to get your point across. All right, Jana, thank you. Jana Sanchez, a specialist in helping leaders tell their story in a compelling way in all the components of telling it from executive presence to the message to media training. Jana, fabulous. I think the thing to really take away from this is I love what you said. It's an opportunity. Every time a question, anything is an opportunity to tell your story. That means you have to know your message. And that's back to the message matrix, the proof points, and the sound bites. And then the ABC technique, uh, which is acknowledge a part of the question, bridge gracefully, and then go right back to one of your core messages. And at that point, make sure you're giving some proof points. And then if you want to interrupt, you interrupt between the acknowledgement and the somebody going back to their core message. So at the bridging point, the ABC again becomes your friend. Jana, thank you very much. This was fabulous. Thank you, Wanda. Okay, and join us next week. We'll continue the discussion. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Reach outside your comfort zone this week.